bringing the attention to that feeling itself, the habit of worrying itself. So, and, and just like uh, our friend was saying here, just one of the most useful things to do is to consciously lay aside the story and come into the feeling in the body. Okay, well, whether I'm worried about the car or my family or my job or my monastic life or whatever, what does worry feel like? Where is it in the body? And I would find uh, for myself that there's like a tension in the solar plexus, in the abdomen. Is this familiar to people? (laughs) (laughs) That you find your your belly kind of clenches up, tightens. (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, loosen your bells. <laughs> and that the that that's the immediate response that I would find. So what I started to do to try and understand this, um, I, I deliberately uh, set the intention to dev- to cultivate an awareness of that feeling. So I uh, I made a uh, I make an intention at the beginning of each day, whenever my mind gets worried about anything, bring the, bring the attention into the body, see what your, your, your belly is doing. And also in my face, particularly around the eyes. I, I find that you know, the muscles around my eyes and around my mouth would <coughs> tighten up. So uh, I, I developed this as a practice, just to be, you know, as soon as I was aware of that feeling of anxiety, Go to the body. What's the body doing? And then bringing that attention to that, particularly to the solar plexus, then I, I train myself to consciously relax. So whatever it was, I just say, okay, just relax the belly. Because every time, as soon as the mind was worried about something, whenever you bring attention to the body, you find, sure enough, every single time, 100% of the time, the, the stomach was tight. Every time. So then I, I d- developed a very simple methodology. Okay, relax your stomach. This is the abs of jello <laughs> methodology. The video will be available in Dharmastor's abs of jello. So that rather than being able to sort of break a, ba- a baseball bat over your abdomen, it will sink without trace. <laughs> So, so to just let the let your your stomach relax, and what what I found was that whatever it was the mind was worried about, worried about whether the ajahn liked me or whether uh, I should change the flowers on my shrine or whether you know the the I had some health problem or what I was going to do tomorrow or what my uh, my sisters thought of me or whatever it was inside or outside practical or psychological. Regardless of the object, as soon as I relaxed my stomach, relaxed my face, the anxiety was gone. And you find if your if your stomach is soft, you can't get a good worry going. <laughs> can't do it. It just won't work. It needs that tightness to to back it up. You can't sustain a good fret, a good fretting. You know, you need to have that, um, the body um, backing it up, otherwise it just won't hold together. What's going to happen? <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> but it might all go wrong. So? You know, just the, the worry system won't work without that kind of tension. 
So um, what you find is that a, a huge amount of the, the fear uh, issues is actually held in the body. And, that, and it, it works in exactly the opposite way. Like if your mind is quite relaxed, you feel sort of, you're quite at ease. If right now, if you tighten your stomach, like immediately you feel anxious, right? Even though there's nothing to worry about. You don't even need an object. Right? This is objectless uh, uh, anxiety. Just nebulous, you know, nameless fear. We're worried. I mean, I'm, I'm doing it right now. I feel worried. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's because the body's creating it. It's like tense up, tighten up. Anything could happen. Be prepared. I mean, I'm acting and it still is <laughs> uncomfortable. You, know. you still feel it. So, just by seeing how much the body feeds into that reactivity and seeing how the mind is, is so prone to that, and you notice that whenever the mind is, has got caught up and, and carried away by that, that feeling, it's that tension in the body grabbing an I thought, I want, I can, I shouldn't, I must, I, I feel, I want, I wonder. And that by developing... A, uh, a relaxation of the body and also just a conscious letting go of that, the I feeling, the I obsession, like noticing how much the mind does that and say, oh no, this is the feeling of fear. And for, for years, two or three years, I made this the, the, the centerpiece of, of my meditation. And I, I used the, 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 earlier this morning I was talking about reflection and investigation, right? So I would use this, this, these um, two questions. As whenever I noticed that feeling, I would ask myself, who is afraid? What is there to be afraid of? Over and over again, who's afraid? What's there to be afraid of? And then by raising those questions and you know, relaxing the, the body, then almost virtually every time, unless you were actually kind of out in the middle of the traffic and <laughs> there was a real thing to be afraid of, you know, like, vehicles coming at you at speed, <laughs> then if it was just a, 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 a formless anxiety, then it would dissolve. And so that it, it took a lot of, uh, of focus on that, but it's really developing a, a, a clear awareness that this is just a, a mental habit that's uh, driven by our kind of self-centered um, thinking. That's what causes it. And when we know that, when that's really understood, and we let go, A, of the, 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 the self-centered thinking, and then secondly, we let go of the, the, the physical support for the fear, then it, uh, it dissolves. You know, it, it can't sustain itself. Because the, it's, it doesn't have a life of its own. You know. <laughs> also, you can use the meditation to deliberately bring it up. So if you're, when your mind is quite focused, if you, if you want to understand this, this pro whole process in a much more detailed way, if there's a particular thing that you're afraid of, or a person, or an event, when your mind is quite steady and focused, you can deliberately bring it up arouse that, that memory of that person or that idea, 
consciously invite it into your mind and then uh, deliberately let go of the story that comes with it. Say, okay, I'm not interested in the story. I'm interested in what's the body doing now. You bring your attention into the body and just let yourself be fully aware, fully know that feeling. Okay, this is the feeling of fear. This is the fear reaction. It's like this. And that quality of knowing brings with it a, a radical acceptance. And you, you notice that even though fear is something that we, we run from and we negotiate with and we we're, uh, have this tense relationship with, actually when you feel the body in a state of fear, it's not that bad. <laughs> it's slightly uncomfortable, but it's not that bad. It's actually just a, a, a tension, a tightness of the muscles, and there's nothing intrinsically wrong with it. So that when you are able to acknowledge that feeling and just know it for what it is, and then uh, just let yourself be with that and fully know it for a few minutes, and then to consciously let go, relaxing the body in the way I was describing, you know, relaxing the, the mind, and just let that, that whole cycle run to a, a, an end until the mind uh, and body are back at that original balance of, of, of steadiness and composure. So then you've seen the whole cycle. You've seen the fear being born, coming into existence, doing its thing, uh, saying, you know, worry, worry, worry. You know, be afraid. Be very afraid. <laughs> this is reasonable fear. You should be, you should be frightened. You know. Okay, I hear what you're saying. I feel it. Then it does its thing and, it's, and it fades out and comes to an end. So you've watched the whole birth and death cycle. And while it's been there, you've accepted it fully. You've, by, just by accepting the feeling, the physical sensation of it, you've accepted to some degree where that feeling has come from. Right? When you drink from the stream, you drink from the source of the stream. So even though the water is down in the creek here, it's come from far up on the hill. So that water, that's where it's come from. So that you're, by, by drinking the water of that physical sensation, you're some, and accepting that and fully knowing it, you somehow fully accepted where that fear has come from, that conflict in your life or that unresolved um, uh, debt or, or painful experience or prospect of some difficulty, that that's somehow been accepted in the same way as one's accepted the physical uh, quality that's emerged from it. So then that the, you're, you're appreciating it on a non-conceptual level. You're going right to the, the physical feeling, the, the non-verbal quality of it, and tr truly knowing it and accepting it, being with it. And so when we talk about knowing, being the one who knows, it's like that's what we're doing, is taking the position of knowing fear, knowing the physical feeling of fear, the, the mental quality of, of fear, and by fully knowing it, not re repressing it, not believing in it, but by knowing it and watching it do its thing, then the heart is liberated from it. So I used to be a very, a very fear-conditioned being. That's why I called our monastery Fearless Mountain. <laughs> One of the reasons why. Because it's such a powerful influence. But by um, the developing the practice in this way, then you, and tr by fully understanding that quality, then the heart can be free of it. Okay, so 
There's a few little readings I wanted to do before we have our first sitting period for the afternoon. So this is... Um, these uh, these uh, passages talk about you know, why it is possible that there is liberation. You know, that it's uh, the fact that the awareness is radically and absolutely separate from the object of awareness. That's why freedom is possible, that the mind which knows the five khandhas, form, feeling, perception, mental formations, consciousness, that which knows it and is aware of it is, is utterly transcendent of it. That's why there can be freedom from, from those qualities. If it was not transcendent of it, it we couldn't be free. That's the logic. Anyway, this is, first of all, Ajahn Man. This is uh, Ajahn Chah's teacher. In some verses from uh, a long poem he wrote called The Ballad of Liberation from the Five Khandhas. The heart knowing the Dhamma of ultimate ease sees for sure that the Khandhas are always stressful. The Dhamma stays as the Dhamma. The Khandhas stay as the Khandhas. That's all. So the Khandhas are form, the body, Feelings, perceptions, mental formations, thoughts, emotions, and consciousness itself. Just even that, that raw cognizing. Uh, these are, uh, they're on the one side, the Dhamma is on the other. When you see that Dhamma, you recover from mental unrest. The mind then won't be attached to dualities. Just this much truth can end the game. Knowing, not knowing. That's the method for the heart. When we see through inconstancy, the mind source stops creating issues. All that remains is the primal mind, true and unchanging. Knowing the mind source brings release from all worry and error. If you go out to the mind ends, you're immediately wrong. Now, the relationship of this quality of awareness to the conditioned realm is embodied in Ajahn Chah's analogy of oil and water, an image he used very often. So this uh, passage from Ajahn Chah is from uh, a talk called The Training of the Heart, which is again found in, uh, in this fine volume. This is the way it is. You detach, you let go. Whenever there is any feeling of clinging, we detach from it because we know that that very feeling is just as it is. It didn't come along especially to annoy us. We might think that it did, but in truth, it's just that way. If we start to think and consider it further, that too is just as it is, right? If we let go, then form is merely form, sound is merely sound, odor is merely odor, taste is merely taste. Touch is merely touch, and the heart is merely the heart. It's similar to oil and water. If you put the two together in a bottle, they won't mix because of the difference of their nature. Oil and water are different in the same way that a wise person and an ignorant person are different. The Buddha lived with form, sound, odor, taste, touch, and thought. He was an arahant, an enlightened one. So he turned away from rather than toward these things. He turned away and detached little by little since he understood that the heart is just the heart and thought is just thought. He didn't confuse and <coughs> mix them together. The heart is just the heart. Thoughts and feelings are just thoughts and feelings. Let things be just as they are. 
Let form be just form. Let sound be just sound. Let thought be just thought. Why should we bother to attach to them? If we think and feel in this way, then there is detachment and separateness. Our thoughts and feelings will be on one side and our heart will be on the other. Just like oil and water, they're in the same bottle, but they're separate. And then finally, this is a short verse from uh, Upasika Ki Nanayon, who is uh, a very uh, highly regarded woman meditation teacher um, in Thailand. Um, this is from a, a, a book of hers called An Unentangled Knowing. An inward staying, unentangled knowing, all outward going, knowing cast aside. So that, that uh, unentangled knowing is a, is a wonderful expression. And that uh, this feeling, or, or, or the, the image of Ajahn Chah's description of the oil and water in the bottle, I always found that very compelling. I used to actually keep a bottle of oil and water up on my shrine, <laughs> sort of by the Buddha image. Because uh, he'd say it's like, in our ordinary lives, it's like having oil and water in the bottle, or like a salad dressing. They don't have the same kind of salad dressings in Thailand. But, <laughs> <laughs> but if you put them in together in a bottle and you shake them up, like our ordinary lives... It's like uh, the, the water and the oil are shaken up together. We think, I'm thinking, I'm feeling, I'm going, I'm coming, I'm having, I'm not having, I want, I don't have, I, <laughs> I want to get rid of. <laughs> All that, I feel, I want, I am, that's like the, feel, the, the quality of knowing is getting mixed up with sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, thought, memory, feeling. And so, just like when you shake them all up together, it all seems like one liquid. When you put the bottle down then the oil and the water uh, separate out. On the one side there's that transcendent knowing, on the other side there is form, feeling, perception, mental formations, consciousness. They separate out if you let them. So that's why with meditation it's, it's, not, a, uh, it's not like we have to create awareness or we have to create this quality of, of transcendent knowing or thinking, well, I've got a very small supply of transcendent knowing. Most of mine is actually very... It's very inferior and, and caught up. It's like what is being suggested is that you, know, you, didn't have a, you don't have a choice. We're all built the same way. And it's just maybe your bottle is being agitated a bit more than, than somebody else's. But if we just put the bottle down, then that, that, uh, that knowing will separate out. So then uh, that's what enables the heart to, to be truly liberated. And so then uh, the... If we see things in that way, then you realize this is how we can experience true freedom, true escape from, from birth and death, from the confinements of, of, uh, of the, the world of, of, uh, of form, of being constantly blown around by happiness and unhappiness, success and failure, praise and criticism, gain and loss. That we're able to, uh, when we, we let these separate out, then there's a clear knowing of all those different qualities of life without any confusion about them. And one of the, the ironic, strange, mysterious things is, is the more complete and, and absolute that separation is, the more we put the bottle down and the, and the oil and the water separate out totally, then actually the more our life uh, is fully attuned to the realm of form, feeling, perception, mental formations, consciousness. It's when we're, we're entangled, when the knowing is all mixed up and agitated, then we become confused. And, and lost, and our life becomes disharmonious. Mm -hmm. 
It's a mysterious thing, but this is how it works. I don't know how to explain it in a better way. But it's like the more you let go of the world completely, absolutely, unreservedly, the more utterly attuned to all things that the heart is. Go figure. <laughs> it's one of those humongous mysteries, but that's, that's exactly how it works. And I think we all intuit that, because we think, well, I don't want to let go of the world, I kind of love the world. So I want to hold it. I, want to, I love the world so much, I'm going to cling to it. <laughs> Any of us who have problems with our parents <laughs> or have that kind of feeling of, uh, have you ever been clung to by a parent? So it's like, the, if you love something, let it go. <laughs> that's the, the, the message that's, that's contained here. So that was just a, a few little readings and uh, to introduce the next uh, meditation period. I'm bringing the <coughs> attention inwards, feeling the body, noticing the mood, allowing ourselves to, to settle. <coughs> <coughs> 
to be at ease. Once again, drawing the attention to the breath, letting that be an initial focal point, not trying to change the breath in any way, just feeling the body breathing at its own pace, in its own way, its own rhythm. Here in the space of our awareness, there's the feelings of the body and the posture. And at the center, the sensations of the breath. As the attention settles here in the present, so as before, letting ourselves hold the breath very lightly, knowing the breath, attending to its its texture with the in-breath and the out-breath, the turning points. But as we feel and attend to the breath, notice also the space within which it moves, the space of awareness.
Just feeling the breath easily entering and leaving the body. Feeling its sensations as the It moves, transmutes, and changes. just like the light beam moving through space, swinging back and forth, now one way, now the other, now one way, now the other, feeling the texture of the breath in the space of the mind in the same way, has a form, has a quality, but is empty, weightless. So we feel and know, attend to the breath. But we know it within that vast, open spaciousness. A clear, welcoming spaciousness of this awareness itself.
as and when the mind rests more easily in the present, no longer pulls into past or future imaginings, but is open, attentive, resting in the present moment. then there's no need to focus particularly on the breath as, a, as an anchor for our attention. But taking a step even further back, letting go of the breath even more, fully and completely, we can just rest, let the mind rest being this spacious open knowing. So the movement of the breath, there's just another pattern here in the same open, vast, welcoming space of awareness. We hear the sound of the fans, the sound of my voice, feelings in the legs, whatever it may be that arises within our, our awareness. the more the heart remains rooted, stable, unconfused, then it can receive, just like the space of this room can receive all kinds of people doing all kinds of things. In the same way, the space of the mind can receive all kinds of sankharas, all kinds of perceptions, thoughts, feelings, moods, beautiful and ugly, neutral, wanted, unwanted, expected, unexpected. Whatever it may be, just letting it all flow into the space of the mind, the space of our awareness. Flows in, does its thing, flows out. Crystallizes, takes shape, and dissolves. By training the heart to rest in this this way, being this very knowing, being Buddha, Buddha, the one who knows, being that knowing, receiving it all, knowing it all, letting it all go as if we were breathing in all perceptions, thoughts and feelings, knowing them, just like the oxygen hitting the veins, hitting the bloodstream, energizing, enlivening. That same quality of knowing is the life source. Knowing each sankhara, each form as it is, letting it go, releasing it, allowing it to dissolve, not pushing away or clinging on. Training the heart to be that unentangled knowing, fully receiving everything, knowing, letting everything go.
you find the mind snagged by stray thoughts and feelings, caught up in a sensation in the body, a memory, an idea, consciously let go, release that. Let's come back to the quality of knowing, just training the heart to keep relinquishing, releasing, letting go. Being that open, independent awareness.
if the mind gets really lost and carried away, totally spun around, then take a moment to come back to the body, feel the posture, re-establish the, the spine in an upright, firm, energetic mode. Once again, relax the body around that. Recenter the attention on the breath. Come back to the, the present. Sharpen, clarify the attention. It's getting too woolly and drifty and blurry. Once that clarity is re-established, that stability in the present is firm, steady once again, then just allow the breath to move into the, the general mix of perceptions and feelings, taking a step back from it. So in noticing what the mind is doing, seeing how it's working or failing to work with the present conditions. We're not just blindly following a formula, but working with how things are developing. If it's too loose, tighten it up. If it's too tight, loosen it. But the inclination is towards developing, clarifying this quality of open awareness, open-hearted, receptive, spacious awareness, being that very knowing, that receptive, open, alert quality, Truly accepting all things, knowing all things, relinquishing all things. Unbiased, unconfused, peaceful, wide awake.
we'll have a period of walking meditation in a, in a minute or two. But um, just wanted to make a couple of uh, small points um, just to help clarify. Um, as I said this morning, sometimes using a phrase like the one who knows gives a sense of there being a, an, an agent or a doer. And so this is uh, a natural question for us to, to ask or to, to, to wonder about. Well, what is it that's uh, uh, aware? Is this somehow the real me or the, the real something? What is it that, that knows? And uh, I often, in this context, uh, quote a, uh, a poem that uh, apparently came out of um, a, the answer to a, a, a pay, uh, Cambridge University philosophy paper on this, this kind of theme. And the, um, it was a, uh, came out in the form of a limerick. And it goes, there was a young man who said, though, it appears that I know that I know. What I'd like to see is the I that knows me when I know that I know that I know. <laughs> and on and on and on. So that uh, we assume that this, this, this uh, experience of awareness is somehow an I or a self or it's a me that's knowing. So that's why a phrase like puru in Thai or the one who knows gets used. But the more that we... Uh, we work with this and develop this quality, the more we see that any kind of I feeling or my feeling, that when there's a, a thought, the I-ness uh, attached to it is something extra. There's a memory, and we'd say my memory or I remember, but then if we reflect on that in terms of, of uh, uh, developing insight, well, is this a self? Who does this belong to? What is it that's aware of the I feeling? If that's the I feeling over there, then what is it here that knows it? If, that's, uh, if that memory is mine, what's the thing here that, that is the owner, the experiencer? What is that? So that it's important to understand that with, with insight meditation, we're not trying to define exactly who and what we are, but more to relinquish uh, our delusions about, about uh, what we are. We can let go of what we're not, but trying to define what we are in terms of an idea or a name or a, a some kind of concept is never going to work. Does that make sense? Because we want to try and something in us wants to try and find the real me. What what am I really, really, really? But the the Buddha's uh, teaching is so brilliant insofar as he he says it's undefinable. Therefore, don't try to define it. It's the, the reality's got too many dimensions. It's like saying, draw me a picture of a ten-dimensional cube. <laughs> you know, sometimes in these books on mathematics and, and, and uh, subatomic physics, you might get someone trying to represent a, a four-dimensional cube. A, uh, a, I think it's called a tesseract. Okay, four dimensions maybe, <laughs> kind of slightly dubiously, but five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten are the the mind just falls flat. The concept, the conceptual mind can't, can't do that. It has no meaning. So similarly, the Buddha said, don't try to define what that reality, that Dhamma is. There's no need to define it in terms of concept or thought. Just realize that quality directly. And that realization, that knowing, is, is non-conceptual. 
That makes sense? So that the more that the habit is trying to look for a me in terms of an I am a person, an individual, I'm a man, I'm a woman, I'm old, I'm young, I'm English, I'm American, I'm I'm not even I'm not anything. I'm not anything. I'm not a Buddhist, I'm not a person, I'm not a that's the I'm the I am not identity. Right? <laughs> we can uh, we can go around getting so enraptured with the feeling, uh, the insight into anatta. We can be a, an a, an anatta bore, you know, like a golf bore or a, or an ecology bore or a Buddhist bore. You can be an anatta bore, like trying to go around convincing yourself and everybody else that you don't exist. There was a, a man fam- famously uh, uh, around the Buddhist circles in England who always used to refer to himself as it. <laughs> and uh, his, his wife was a well-known saint. <laughs> she, she, had to, she had to live with this. And he's saying, it's, it's hungry. It needs to go to the Buddhist society. It's supposed to give a talk this evening. Could it be driven there? Try, try living with that one. Yeah. So it's letting go of all identities, even, even non-identities, anti-identities. It's, it's a relinquishing of that and, and remaining at that, what I like to think of as at the back wall of, of awareness itself. And sometimes we also we try and, and try to make awareness into an object, like it's a thing. So even just using the word awareness, like emptiness, we can make it almost like a quasi-thing, like there's this sort of mysterious, ephemeral stuff, kind of non-stuff called emptiness, realizing emptiness. And awareness is almost like this sort of almost existent kind of, it's that spacey sort of <laughs> thing that's not a thing, but it's, it's good, and it's big, and it's not personal, and so... So maybe actually just not even using the a, a ness word, but more like thinking of it more in the, as a verb, like awareing, rather than awareness. So it's not even a noun. We're not even making it into an abstract noun, like awareness. But it's more like a a, a quality of of nature that is is uh, actual. So awareing rather than awareness. But the point, rather than coming up with the perfect word. <laughs> as I'm doing. <laughs> Even without that, the point is, in this moment, what is it that's aware of this, uh, of this feeling, this, this moment? And staying with that, staying at the back wall. And uh, uh, when people would ask Ajahn Chah, like, well, how, do you, uh, how can you know awareness? Uh, how do I recognize awareness? And he's, he said, um, he'd use a phrase, you're riding a horse uh, but and you're looking for your horse. <laughs> so it's like riding a horse, saying, "Where's my horse? Has anyone seen my horse?" <laughs> or Ajahn Sumedha would use the the uh, the similar way. He'd use uh, looking for your own eyes. And this is from uh, a talk he gave called "What is the Jitta or What is the Mind?" Just like the question, "Can you see your own eyes?" Nobody can see their own eyes. I can see your eyes, but I can't see my eyes. I'm sitting right here. I've got two eyes, and I can't see them. But you can see my eyes, right? 
But there's no need for, for me to see my eyes because I can see. It's ridiculous, isn't it? If I started saying, why can't I see my own eyes? You'd think, Ajahn Sumedho is really weird. <laughs> Looking in a mirror, you can, you can see a reflection, but that's not your eyes. That's a reflection of your eyes. There's no way that I've been able to look and see my own eyes, but then it's not necessary to see your own eyes. It's not necessary to know who it is that knows, because there's knowing. Right? This talk was given by a John Amro at Spirit Rock Meditation Center on July 2, 2006. It is an offering of the Dharma Seed Audio.